Welcome to the Infrastructure Show. I'm your host, Professor Joseph Schofer of Northwestern University. The Infrastructure Show is designed to present to listeners the reality of America's infrastructure, its condition, why it is the way it is, and what can be done about it. We gratefully acknowledge contributions to sustain the Infrastructure Show from Dr. Robert Peskin, Dr. Raymond Ellis, and Andrea and Ron DeFeo. PFAS, per- and polyfluoroalkyl substances, are chemical coatings that resist heat, stains, and water. These properties have led to their widespread use in common products, but also to their becoming pervasive in our water supply. Commonly known as forever chemicals because they do not normally degrade in the environment, exposure to PFAS is linked to a wide range of potential health problems. The big question is what can be done to remove PFAS from the nation's water supply. Here today to discuss this important topic is Mohammed Atai Ibrahim, who is environmental engineer and group leader with the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. He focuses on PFAS treatment at the EPA Center for Environmental Solutions and Emergency Response. Mohammed, I'm really happy to be talking to you today. Thank you. Yeah, morning to you. Uh, yeah, likewise. I'm, I'm very happy and thanks for the invitation. So where will I find PFAS in my everyday environment? Can I see it? Uh, is it identifiable? It's, it's everywhere. Uh, so the, the closest thing to you, if, if you wake up in the morning and try to crack an egg and put it in a nonstick surface pan, uh, it is there. As, as you just explained, their industrial um, benefits are, are huge. Uh, because, as, as you mentioned, they resist heat, they resist, uh, they, they hate water and oil. Uh, so they repel both, and that's why you would find them in any surface that, um, uh, like nonstick or the, the raincoats, the, the, the carpets, that, the spray that you put on the carpets to make it uh, resist any stain. Uh, so this is the closest, but very close to you in your cell phone, it's, it's uh, full of... Uh, uh, PFAS-containing com- components because, again, um, they, they have multiple functions in, in, in these as well. Um, researchers found them in, like, toilet paper. It, it's, it's, uh, it's very perza- pervasive in terms of, like, how they found so many uh, directions and, and ways to, to penetrate our everyday life. So if they don't dissolve readily in, in water, how do they get into the, the water supply? Okay, so they, they resist water because of the very unique chemical structure that you would have there. So a PFAS molecule would have what we call a hydrophobic tail, and that's actually what resists the, or hates water. And then you have an ionized head, and that's what makes it dissolve. Um, so that, that very unique combination of these two factors uh, makes it very challenging. If you couple that with their concentrations, that they exist at very low concentration compared to the background constituents of other organics or inorganic stuff that you have um, in, in, in water, uh, that makes the, the challenge even much harder. So how long have they been around? Okay, so PFAS um, was discovered in, in, uh, accidentally in, in one of the uh, company's labs. Uh, let's say eight decades ago, and since then um, they have been used. In, um, let's say uh, firefighting foams. That's that's one of the major uh, 
uh, application and source of contamination that actually uh, contributed to the spread of, of, of PFAS. Uh, so, yeah, we com compared to, like, the general chemistry history, the fluorine chemistry is just, like, seven, eight decades uh, old. What do we know about the risks to people and living beings? That's, that's a very good question. The, the risk needs to be, uh, I mean, any information about it needs to be coupled with a reminder that it is very essential here. So when we talk about PFAS, it's, it's not a, a chemical. It's a family of chemical that we are talking about like five to 8,000, and the actually numbers are increasing depending on different definitions of PFAS. So thousands of chemicals with different unique properties, uh, that makes the, the risk uh, uh, it's very also uh, wide in terms of like how to define it. So each, each of these chemicals would, would have different risk factors and, and risk associated with it for uh, human health and environment. But research so far on, on certain t classes and, and compounds of PFAS um, showed that they are uh, attributed to different diseases like cancer and uh, reproductive uh, diseases and etc. Uh, so the risk is there, but uh, as I said, it needs to be always uh, combined with a with a more information about risk of which PFAS compound uh, exactly. It strikes me though that they've been around for for eight decades, and we're just learning about the nature of the risks that the possibilities going forward could be really significant. Uh, I agree. Uh, the more, I, would, I wouldn't call it even interesting, the, the, the sad fact about that, that some of the risk uh, or health issues were actually, um, like, came to the attention of some of the manufacturers, let's say, since the 80s. So we are talking about decades of exposure with some concern, but luckily the, over the past uh, years, uh, the, the attention about the concern related to PFAS health and environmental hazards uh, is, is just like being translated in more aggressive actions about like treatment and elimination of, of these uh, uh, compounds altogether. Are, are there prospects for cutting off the supply, that is to stop the flow of these in, into the uh, the water supply and into the environment? Okay, so this, this will take us to your actually very first question about where are they. So since they are everywhere, um, uh, saying that we will cut it all together, uh, it's unrealistic. Um, in the U.S., there are some actions against PFAS in cert certain industries. So earlier this year, the Department of Defense actually uh, issued or released uh, military specification for what is called fluorine-free foams. So as I said, the firefighting foams for military applications um, was one of the, the, the major uh, applications for, for these PFAS compounds. But we are talking about this October, um, the, the Department of Defense is, is required to propose fluorine-free form alternatives formulations. Uh, so this is one application. Um, some states uh, are taking proactive um, moves. Um, so 
state of California, they, they are putting some regulation uh, actions against uh, PFAS in certain industries, like in textile or carpets and rugs, uh, with, with some proposed um, actions against PFAS and other consumer products. Uh, so this is this is one angle. But if we if we say can we cut it all together? I guess the the clear example that shows that, that how how it is challenging is it's it's a living example currently in Europe because Europe also this year uh, decided that okay we will ban PFAS altogether as whole, not not just certain chemicals, uh, but there is an exception where their use is deemed uh, irrepressible. So we are talking about some military applications, some space applications, some uh, what we would call essential use. Uh, so you would find a lot of discussion moving forward uh, about, about that. So to answer your question in a very short format, uh, can we actually ban it altogether? I find that very challenging unless some, someone just proposed a magical solution on how to do it. So in the absence of a magic, magic solution, can we get PFAS out of the potable water supply? It is now, uh, so the EPA proposed the first ever nationwide uh, PFAS regulation uh, on, on certain PFAS molecules. Um, so this is not finalized yet. The, the numbers about the regulations are, are not final, but expected to be released early 2024. Uh, but this is a very big major uh, move to have. Now, to your question about can we remove it, the answer is yes, but in in what context and how much is the cost? And, uh, and this is one of the things in, in the Office of Research and Development and as part of the bypasser and infrastructure law, uh, we are now in a big project trying to support needing communities in answering that, that, that exact question uh, because you would find PFAS at different concentrations. And what does this mean from the treatability point of view that you would require different technologies to, to tackle that contamination? Um, so what is the optimum treatment train uh, to remove PFAS? This is a question to be answered in hopefully in the near future. So now we are moving by uh, by uh, joining forces with different communities across the nation. Uh, since you would have different water sources from surface water to groundwater sources, and as I said, you would have PFAS at different concentration, and you would have background constituents organic and inorganic at different concentration, and each scenario uh, would require different treatment uh, train. And defining this is, is one of our targets moving forward. So do you envision if and as we move toward a treatment that, that removes PFAS, do you envision that this would be at the, let's say, at the, at the water treatment plant or at the wellhead uh, as opposed to in my kitchen? So the target is actually the first. Is we, we would like to get uh, solutions so that the water coming out from the treatment plant is meeting this proposed regulation. And that's why I, I, I mentioned that it's a very major uh, step uh, because now the water quality coming out from a treatment plant uh, 
would need to to meet these certain uh, uh, numbers in terms of the permissible concentrations coming out. Um, but th there would be situations where um, in a small communities or if, if a location that it is dependent on a groundwater where we call it like pump and treat scenarios, this, this would be also uh, a direction to go. But the optimum target is to find a solution or solutions that can be proposed at a drinking water treatment plant uh, scale. Okay, so so not a not a home uh, remedy, if you, if you will. So if the if these are, so you've told me something I I didn't know that 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 they're dis dissolved in the in the water supply. So the treatment process, if I understand it, needs to be chemical as opposed to physical. That is, you're not filtering out particles. Is that right? No, actually, it's we call it a physical chemical treatment. Uh, so the, the granule activated carbon, like the, the charcoal that you would use maybe in a point of view system under the sink in your home or on, in, in the treatment plant. Uh, so this is a, a, another like way of physically separating them. So um, you remember when I said like the hydrophobic tail of yes. the molecule? Mm -hmm. So this is actually what goes and stick to a hydrophobic surface, which is uh, carbon in, in that example. But then you would be challenged with uh, the PFAS themselves. You would have uh, some of them with longer chain. This means like they are more hydrophobic. They hate water more, and this would make it easier to remove. But then you would have some of these molecules with shorter chain, and they make it hydrophilic more like loving to water and the separation with a carbon filter would be challenging. And that's why maybe another solution can be an ion exchange resin. Uh, this is one. One of the most effective is actually uh, physical separation by uh, reverse osmosis or, or nanofiltration. So uh, that actually separates PFAS uh, quite effectively. But then you would think about the cost and how to manage the concentrated waste stream coming out from this treatment uh, technology. So you'd have to do something with the with what you remove in a safe way. Exactly. Um, I, I always say it like we are trying to avoid ha making like a mass balance of contamination in nature. It's just like if we are trying to to separate it, then we also need to find a way to degrade it or uh, another description we call it mineralize it, like totally degrading them and destroying these molecules to minerals that they are um, not harmful for the environment. Could I use the word inert when, they're, when you mineralize them? Exactly. And, and that, that brings us to a very key, uh, another key aspect about PFAS, which is the PFAS destruction. Uh, so I, I told you about how, how much they are uh, chemically stable and physically stable, but they're also very thermally stable. So they, that carbon-fluorine bond is the shortest and strongest bond in nature. And that makes the degradation target is kind of hard and energy intensive. Um, so this is part of also the big puzzle that we are trying to, to, to complete, what would be the separation technology, what would be the destruction technology to be used for, for treatment of, of PFAS. So if I, under, if I can paraphrase what, what you've said or what I understand of what you said, 
that, that we have options, but uh, it's still a matter of research to figure out what options work best and what circumstances. Yes and, and, and no. So we have, yes, there are some options, but are they effective in meeting what we desire in terms of like water quality? Uh, this is uh, like, yeah, it's a, a research question of how, how much a filter can last before you need to replace it. But then we have um, research questions regarding destruction technologies, emerging uh, technologies for separation, like novel absorbents, that they can overcome the shortcomings of existing uh, sorbents that you can find in the market. But then adding another layer of complexity, okay, now, over the past like five, six years, uh, myself and other researchers, we, we gained a lot of understanding about how to separate it. But then you would find another challenge of can we scale this material up? Uh, so there are some uh, positive uh, uh, examples out there, I guess one of them actually at Northwestern, uh, of taking these uh, proof-of-concept scenarios and understanding and try to scale that up to, to get a solution that can be general. Uh, but it is not readily available, but hopefully uh, with the progress that is being made recently, uh, that can be uh, available to contribute to solving this problem soon. So uh, what I'm get, getting from you is there's no plug-and-play solution. If I see an ad that says we can solve this problem, it may not be accurate. That, that's actually one of the biggest red flags that that comes to mind. Uh, like uh, a lot of vendors and a lot of very active and enthusiastic uh, entrepreneurs out there reach out to me almost on a weekly basis about that they have the magical solution that we will uh, deal with that solution. Don't worry about it. There is no energy input needed. There is, uh, but given like our uh, understanding that we accumulated over the years, we acknowledge the, the, the complexity of the problem and we try to be actually more realistic and practical in facing it by just like 